Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And I am so excited to be bringing on a new expert to our team today. Dr. Christine Gibson is a family medicine physician with expertise in medical education, holistic care, 20 years of clinical experience. How I ran across her bio is that I found her on TikTok as the TikTok trauma doc. And she has written a new book called The Modern Trauma Toolkit. I am so excited, Christine, both to meet you and find out more about your specialty. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Sheila. Tell me about your life. You are a facilitator, you're a speaker, you're a teacher. It sounds like you have a really holistic approach toward wellness and health. Holistic for sure, but also transdisciplinary. I think a lot of physicians, this is our day job and this is what we do and who we are. And I've never really fit comfortably in that box. So what I've started to do more recently is just say like, who else am I and how else do I show up? So if you had said to me 10 years ago that I'd have a TikTok channel, I would have laughed you out of the room. Yeah. But now, you know, I'm more interested. Like, where are these conversations happening around holistic health and anti-oppression and all the things that I care about? And turns out TikTok is having a lot of those conversations. So I'm just trying to figure out um, how we can not just intervene at that one-on-one level, which I've been doing as a doctor for 20 years, but what are the ways that we can change systems? And that's my passion for the second half of my career. I'm really moved by that because it's similar to my belief that there just wasn't enough free public education about how to care for ourselves, that it's really lacking. And that when you finally need it, you're likely in crisis. It's very difficult to get psychiatric or psychological care. It's very difficult to get into a system when you're going through trauma. And so these little snippets that you can provide people kind of form the basis of the safety net that I think helps them build a better practice toward health. Absolutely. And I think as physicians, it, it, you really hit the nail on the head is we're, we're so much more reactive than proactive. Even yeah. when we talk about preventative medicine, we're measuring things like blood pressure and your diabetes numbers once you've had that disease. So we're trying to catch it early, but you're still catching disease where I'm so much more interested on like, what does health look like? What does thriving look like? And I found in addressing trauma, I was finally getting closer to the root causes of a lot of the problems that I saw in family medicine. So this has just given me so much more passion and invigoration for, you know, the clinical work that I can do. Let's talk about your book, The Modern Trauma Toolkit, because I think um, this year was the first year that I saw lots of titles around trauma. Oprah had one. Uh, Dr. Paul Conti had another great book on trauma. Your book is the Modern Trauma Toolkit. Why did you call it that? And what is modern about the way you look at it? Super good question. Um, I actually have a few pages in the book with that exact question in mind, because I do think the title was really deliberate. Um, I was trying to decide if I would put trauma versus toxic stress, because not everyone recognizes that they've been through trauma. We we don't necessarily identify with the word, but it's starting to get into that general lexicon where people are talking about it more. Um, I mean, a lot of people were saying the pandemic was a collective trauma. Certainly the climate emergency is a collective trauma. And the more that we look into 
what our ancestors are dealing with, what our worries are about future generations. Like this intergenerational trauma is something more and more of us identify with and at least have a language for. I use the word modern because um, we're coming up to like a time of transitions is what I believe. Like th this climate emergency is not something that's going away. It's, 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 it's getting, gaining traction. And the kinds of things that we're facing, we're facing so much closer to ourselves, like social media and the way that someone has a cell phone in the face recording something just brings us closer to trauma that we can then witness and have that em empathy for. And it hits us so much harder than it would have when I was growing up. So, you know, the war in Ukraine, I, I have Ukrainians in my basement now, but the way that I feel when I see footage is just so different because you're there. You can see these, these babies being affected. You can see, um, you know, you can see police brutality in real time. And that modern way that we're handling things also has post-traumatic growth with it because we're also handling things on online forums and communities, which would never have been possible in, you know, 20 years ago either, certainly 40 years ago. Um, and then toolkit, I chose that word after, you know, a lot of deliberation because I didn't want it to sound like you could DIY trauma or that I could fix you because I'm not really a fixer. What I, what I really believe is catalyzing conversations. Like what is the thing that can work for you in your nervous system and in your community? So the personalized solutions aren't just, Hey, I've got this great ner Vegas nerve hack, which a lot of the trauma books do. Personally, I wanted to put out a book that didn't just describe trauma, but gave you the tools to fix it. Mm -hmm. I also wanted those tools to happen at the community level. So I talk about things like policy and social innovation lab and how to, what are the steps it takes to find a great therapist for you? Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to address the systems level and really important for me was accessibility. My entire career has been in health equity spaces and equity deserving communities. And I, I found that there was two main differentiators with my book. One was it's written at a grade eight level. Literally anyone can understand this book and relate to it. I tried to use very diverse examples and, and language. And the second thing is just the solution focus. So I knew there were a lot of books on the market. I've read them all, <laughs> I, but there was still Which something. Which one is your favorite? Which one did you like the most? You know, I like Vandercoke. <laughs> uh, it was the first one I read. So I will say it was a really good doorway for me as an academic clinician. Like I have a master's. I'm now halfway. Actually, I'm two weeks away from submitting my doctorate. So um, I have an academic background and that book was easy for me. But 500 pages, which includes clinical research, is not always the best doorway for a person whose trauma response is don't let your thinking brain be as active as you would prefer. Yeah. So it's not always the go-to that I recommend to folks. I liked Oprah and Bruce Perry's book. Um, mostly I love the title. They, I, I feel like if they hadn't used that, it would have been high on my list, but they, their title was what happened to you. And I think the differentiator between what happened to you from what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And in therapy, I always rephrase it from being, what's wrong with you to what's right with you? Why does it make sense that your brain thinks this way? Why does it make sense that you're behaving in these ways? Yeah. And it's such a different compassion filled 
set of questions. So I really love that title. It's funny too, because you have all of this internal stress based on the way the organization is run, toxic managers, all of the things that we all know happen at work. And then you have the external forces like George Floyd's killing and what that Mm -hmm. did, especially in America, to uh, Black Americans in in the workplace. So how do you counsel businesses when there is an external event that is amplifying the internal lack of safety that they have going on? That is such a good question, Sheila. I think um, there's no right answer. And I think that's why when I wrote the word personalized in the title, I think that that's really the key is because when you look at the dynamics within any workplace environment and even just like the microcosm of a particular city, you know, the way that George Floyd's death resounded in a place like Portland versus a place like New York City or Chicago versus a place in the Deep South, that geopolitical climate and that context was so completely different in each place. Mm -hmm. So part of it is, is examining like the layers of the iceberg, right? Like what do you know and what's actually showing up? What is the impetus for you actually addressing this problem? okay, well, what are your policies? And like, what are the things that you believe as a company? What's your values? And then what are those implicit biases within your employees that are continuing to perpetuate these problems, whether or not they even have conscious awareness of it? Because I think a lot of us show up in these repetitive patterns and it's because of our implicit biases, our painful past experiences, our ancestral traumas. And we get locked into these patterns without even really having the opportunity to think about it. So I yeah. think part of it is just bringing the subconscious into conscious awareness. Yeah. And like, what if we took the pulse of what's happening here? What do you think our vital signs look like right now? Because it's really not up to us as consultants or outsiders to to say this is who you are. And this is something I'm really learning as a doctor is I was told that I was the expert on somebody else's body. I'm never the expert on somebody else's body. And the same is true of a workplace body. Like, like you are the expert who's like engaged in it. But that outsider perspective can be really helpful. And one of the tools that I use as a therapist is, what if you were just holding yourself in your hands and looking at you from all these different angles? What would you see? Mm-hmm. And that third party perspective is such like third voice, like, oh, she's doing this and she's doing this and she's doing this. Um, it's such a valuable way to to not feel like you're deeply stuck in the responses and you can observe them with a more impartial perspective. Um, it, one of the many tools that I think all of us would be better off as humans in the world if we could do that more often, certainly a skill I'm learning. What you're saying to people is let's recognize it. Let's actually learn the skills to cope with it. But then you've got a big life in front of you. You nailed it. To me, if you say you've experienced trauma and, oh, here's a chapter on the adverse childhood experiences study is showing that for every developmental trauma you have, your risk of um, physical, psychological and social problems as an adult are exponentially going to increase. And then you don't give them any solutions. I mean, people are going to feel really cynical and really nervous and you're going to actually just increase their anxiety. So 
I was really, really deliberate to say, you know, these are the problems. The first half of the book is this is what trauma looks like. It can look like racism. It can look like ableism and medical trauma. These are the ways that it shows up. And this is why pharmacology and the chemicals that we use have limitations. And then the whole second half of the book is let's explore together what could be done about it and giving people lots of opportunities to learn. Cause I, I studied this stuff for years mm. and my whole goal with the TikTok and the book is just to get it into people's hands. Oh, I love this. One of the complexities of our audiences is that they have a healthy skepticism of a pharmaceutical only approach to well-being, And it sounds like you do also, which I'm grateful for because we, we all know how systemic ill health is. It, 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 it is so complex. There are so many varied reasons that we get sick and it just has been too simple of a solution, especially here in the United States that you can take this pill and feel better. You may, but oftentimes you don't, you feel worse and then you need more and then, and then there's other side effects. So one of the things that I really love in hearing your approach is just how well-rounded you are and how open you are to these other modalities of healing. It's really wonderful to hear. And I'm not the kind of person to throw out the Western, you know, traditional models of care because I think there's a time and a place for those. They are often really far downstream. Like when you need really good medical intervention, you already have high blood pressure and coronary disease. You're already in septic shock. What are the kinds of things that we can do to prevent your body from getting there? Well, how do we strengthen your immune system? What does sleep look like? What does a healthy diet look like? And I didn't have those answers, but I did all the reading. So I read Dr. Uma Naidu, and she's a psychiatrist who's also trained as a dietitian. She wrote an amazing book about, you know, the brain healthy ways that we should be changing our diet. So what I'm really good at, my thing is knowledge translation. I don't know all the things but I'm really good at sharing what I do know. And I just took a really deep dive. I started working part-time and I thought, well, I mean, I'm doing a doctorate, but my doctorate is in transdisciplinary studies. And so it's kind of like, what are the different ways that I can learn and share things? And a lot of the reason that I was interested in transdisciplinary studies is because it kind of felt like the opposite of being a doctor. Mm. Like as a physician, you read the medical textbooks. I'm like, well, I don't want to be confined by that. I want to read everything. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So, yeah, I, I mean, have I found some therapies that I did not put in the book because they just didn't seem um, robust Not enough? enough Absolutely. Based. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not just evidence based, because I think we get we get really tied to evidence based when some things are not amenable to mm-hmm. high quality randomized c- clinical control trials. Right. Pharmaceutical companies have the money to put into RCTs and they have that impetus to do it. So we're going to have the gold standard coming from pharma because they just have the resources to make that happen. So I'm I'm not anti-evidence-based medicine, but I just don't think it's the be-all end-all. And the more that we consider patients as the experts rather than pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. the more we're going to recognize there's a lot of other um, integrated medicine techniques that work equally well to the pharmaceuticals, but we just have case studies. And I mean, that's why I wanted to teach things like havening and tapping, because frankly, they can't do harm. Whereas if I were to give you an SSRI, you could have a lot of side effects, including 
post-SSRI sexual dysfunction, which I'm learning so much about on TikTok, how many people are impacted. So my premise is to do no harm and to put the patient as the expert means we have to flip the whole medical hierarchy on its head. This is a good spot to wrap up the first half of our show with Christine Gibson. Next week, part two. Until then, thanks for listening and be well. If you get a chance to review us on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen, we'd sure appreciate it.